Kate, thank you very much for having the chance to sit down and speak with me about the uh, Burnaby Village Museum. Um, let's start with yourself. How did you get started in museums? Uh, what, uh, what was your interest and in, how did you, what, what led you to the Burnaby Village Museum? I wanted to pursue uh, a master's degree in anthropology and I always really loved anthropology just in the sense that it's, you know, you're studying people and culture, which is a, a tremendously huge field, um, but it was always interesting, just uh, relationships and I've heard it referred to as the philosophy of humanity. So anyway, it was an intriguing topic and during my time at UBC, which is where I did that degree, uh, I spent a lot of time taking classes and just being nearby the Museum of Anthropology and was kind of captivated by that and I hadn't really ever thought about museums as a, a career, it was more, I just, it's a beautiful museum, Moa, and it's huge and I was also re very drawn to their focus, at least seemingly on the surface, on indigenous, local indigenous cultures and people and the relationships that they had built. Um, and so that was sort of what sort of piqued my interest. And the more, you know, a lot of anthropology courses were either offered physically there or um, there was a project, you know, a, a museum class that you kind of just, you'd ultimately go there at least once if it wasn't being held there. So. Anyways, that's sort of a long-winded way of saying that my interest was um, just being in the presence of the people and the artifacts and the work that's being done there. And I started to get really interested in how people, things, culture, how it's represented and how much power that has and how uh, subtle little things in a display are really important. And so I just I started to get interested in how things tell a story, how there's a lot that you can't say, a lot that is unsaid and yet still communicated. So anyways, just kind of getting interested in how to communicate. You know, did a couple of uh, internships at the BC Farm Museum, which I'm still very grateful for everyone there uh, and their time and their generosity for opening. I got to really play and really explore um, what it means to have a display and what it means for the public to interact with that display. So that was kind of a pivotal um, piece of it. I also really enjoyed the physical side of museum work and curatorial work, and um, especially in a small museum like the BC Farm Museum and other small museums that all uh, that I've worked at. You know, you're doing everything from placing the artifacts, researching the artifacts, researching the story, historical research, photographs, and then you're you know physically changing the space to suit the story. So. Um, I also worked at the White Rock Museum and Archives and also extremely grateful for my time there because I was also given a wide margin to play uh, in, a, in a physical sense too. So painting, um, building plinths, um, some graphic design. So it's just this, this jack of all trades element of museums also very, it was very interesting to me. So it's, um, I love the variety, you know, from research to hammer and nails um, and the variety of the job and then also the challenge of <laughs> the responsibility of representing people mm. in a way that conveys important messages that either your institution or the group of people you're working with, the messages they're trying to get across. And, mm. and the, the history of the Burnaby Village Museum, how, how did the collection develop? Did it, was it stops and starts? Was it continuously growing over this period of time. Uh, walk us through that history. Yeah, I will try my best only because it's a very long history. I would say it's one of, 
I think the first piece that at least I'm aware of that it was documented, I'm not going to say it was the very, very first piece, but you know, it goes back uh, 1971, I think would have been the first donation or accession that I'm aware of um, in our collection. And um, like a lot of regional museums, it was started by a dedicated group of volunteers who were really passionate about history and wanting to share, basically tell the story of what early European settler pioneer villages might have looked like in the 1920s and early sort of turn of the century. So that was the uh, motivation behind uh, the collection. And so in that sense, because it was early in early days was meant to be not one particular village, but a village in BC. Mm. And um, so uh, we because of that, so the the village was actually brought to Burnaby. So a lot of the buildings, um, we can walk through later, but a lot of the, some of the buildings were brought here from other places. So a bank from Batania Beach, uh, an herbalist shop from Victoria, uh, Seaforth School, which was brought, was brought from Burnaby. So that is a, a Burnaby building. Uh, Tom Irvine's cabin was brought from another location in Burnaby. The Love Farmhouse was brought from another location in Burnaby. So you're kind of, and the dates I'm kind of getting, I'm not giving you much of a, a sense for the, when it all happened, but this idea that it's a, a hodgepodge of building of kind of the story of history, not necessarily an act, like a um, a specific representation mm -hmm. of a village. It it's was, almost a reenactment vi mm -hmm. village in a way. Where, where did that idea come from for the society? Who Who, who were some of the people that were imagining that idea was there an example that they were basing that off of or you know i'm not sure how to answer that because i i know about a lot of names or people like really core supporters of the museum sort of from the 90s but i, I don't know if i could say mm. about any particular names in the 1970s um mm. i don't really know i mean i the book i have yet to read uh is called time travel and it's a book um all about why and how and for what purpose the museum started popping up in the 1970s because Burnaby was one of the earliest maybe that like had boots on the ground buildings to go into but I mean again White Rock is another like early museum I think um, 1976 was the first collection but they didn't necessarily have a space mm -hmm. to bring people into so Burnaby's uh, well known in that sense but I don't I don't know I mean I think it was a movement of sorts um, at least among you know, people who identify with a European settler, early colonial pioneer story and really felt the, you know, this, this drive for an identity and sharing that identity and preserving that identity um, mm -hmm. in the way that they felt that it should be told. The built part of the collection, uh, when, did the, when did the object element of the collection yes. start to, to come into fruition? That was also, so yeah, I started, I sort of started there, but uh, 1971 is what I'm aware of, the first accessioned artifact that was, you know, formally part of the collection. The early artifacts that came were to help populate this village, the physical buildings in the village that were being um, built in some cases. So the general store was purpose built to be the general store in the in, at the museum or at the village. And so if you have this building, you have a general store, you'd like to fill it with general store items so um, that's an example so you're kind of uh, collecting um, there's two homes so again like household items things to populate the buildings that were here so it was collected that way so in that sense we have a, a huge number of artifacts and donations that people made 
that are sort of early pieces from, but they don't we don't always know where they came from or what their story is because they made a great addition to this village that was, you know, telling again this generalized story of early British Columbia settler villages. So it was, um, I guess the collecting was, you know, the act of collecting part of it was in order to fill out and really illustrate the buildings in the village. Is there a move now to make a more specific story, a one that's less of a kind of ideal village, but towards Burnaby per se, or the or the, the, the place itself that surrounds the museum? Yeah, so, uh, so I fast forward 50 years in the future where we are now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, our, one of the core pieces of kind of our collecting mandate, like most other museums in BC, certainly, and probably around is, you know, we're interested in collecting artifacts that have a Burnaby history connection provenance, something like that. So it's very focused in, the, in that sense. Um, and of course, we're, um, it's a wonderful challenge uh, to have be working at a museum that has that early story that I've just shared, and then to try and broaden the story, have it be much more inclusive of all the other settlers who were here, uh, Chinese Canadians, I sort of mentioned that earlier, and certainly indigenous peoples. I mean, for a long time, the village um, didn't really recognize that in the way that we do, t- or trying, attempting to today. Um, so broadening, more inclusive, it's also, in my opinion, is a more accurate portrayal to have a little more um, uh, diversity in the, the who the settlers were that... Uh, were in Burnaby, um, you know, at the turn of the century. Uh, the exhibit that we are lucky to have also a gallery space. It's called the Strides. We call it the Strides Studios, but it's a gallery, a more traditional, you know, museum gallery that is rotating. So each year there's a different display. Uh, and this year, um, as well as last year, there's a, a really wonderful exhibition called Across the Pacific that was curated with a huge, it was co-curated by uh, Lisa Codd and Denise Fong, but is a huge amount of research um, behind it, just around uncovering basically untold histories of Chinese Canadians in Burnaby and the contribution that was made around various industries, uh, you know, farming, uh, market gardening, piggeries, restaurants, laundromats, um, those just to name a few, um, not to mention, you know, when did... Chinese Canadians first start coming to to Burnaby and to Canada and to BC. Certainly the gold rush, like 1850s, and so sort of, again, recognizing that's a a long history as well, and um, it's a really uh, dense, uh, really well done exhibition that's on. Do you find, what are some of the blind spots within the collection that you're wanting Mm. to build up? You you mentioned the uh, Chinese Canadian experience, but uh, talk about some of those, uh, maybe some strategies Mm -hmm. that you're implementing to build those connections. Yeah, and this is a, it's one of the most interesting and challenging areas, I think, facing, again, the local BC Museum, um, I think, because in terms of strategies, again, I can speak more to the Chinese-Canadian efforts, um, not only building relationships within the community in Burnaby, um, uh, with UBC and scholars there, um, but also an attempt is, is being made currently to have kind of like basically an advisory committee, mm-hmm. that a group of 
people who are sort of committed to helping that goal go forward in the museum and be willing to be out in the community and um, you know talking up the museum, sharing why they feel it's important for their history to be shared. Um, so building up a committee of people who are sort of passionate about that goal too. So typically people who've lived in Burnaby for a very long time and have connections uh, to the wider uh, Chinese Canadian community. Um, and then just doing other things like, you know, a brochure that's trilingual. So uh, traditional and Chinese, uh, traditional and simplified Chinese and English. So like brochures that this committee could share you know when they're at a meeting or when they just happen to be you know chatting with someone so that's I would say that's what we're actively working on and we have lots of goals um, and I think a big push too is just keeping uh, the curatorial team and you know the wider museum team just really aware of the importance of inclusive stories accurate storytelling from a historical perspective there's been a lot of effort made also in terms of building bridges uh, with local indigenous people, mm. like communities um, and the nations that um, have shared, have territory that right here where we're sitting and, and standing and having our museum. Really wonderful work, ha a really successful project I would also share, I believe is the, um, it's called an Indigenous Resource Guide and it's essentially, it was, um, written and kind of coordinated by Sharon Fortney, Dr. Sharon Fortney, who's at the Museum of Vancouver, and also Slan Sanya Pleshikov and her programming team. So it's a, it's a resource guide. It's available um, as a PDF. It's a living document, but it's, so it's available as a PDF online. We do have a select number of printed copies, but it's basically a huge body, again, another three-year project of really tireless efforts to involve uh, for the um, Hunkaminam and Skohomish speaking peoples who uh, have territory in Burnaby. So a group um, bringing together all those perspectives and offering a document that can share the indigenous story that's mm -hmm. been here since time immemorial. And so things like um, maps that are looking at waterways uh, where berries could be picked. Um, it's a, I highly recommend the resource mm -hmm. and I don't want to talk too much about it only because um, I think it's better for uh, you know folks out there to read it for themselves and but it's uh, it's a wonderful resource and a, I think a really big success for mm. our community uh, what are what are some things that you see in in the community at the moment uh, people events mm -hmm. movements that uh, you feel uh, an urge or a certain eagerness to start documenting or gathering documentation about for the museum just very recently opened up um, you know we've uh, shared our communication around that we're what we're interested in collecting mm. just which is in general at this point you know experiences recordings objects uh, things that people see and they feel are important or at least speak to their experience of what this pandemic has been like for them so but as far as other like Burnaby sort of institutions um, long time things I mean we're interested in everything I guess but I feel like you know really the the collecting um, the act of collecting that we hope to do is really around a more diverse 
story of Burnaby. Mm-hmm. Um, cause we have, we're fortunate to have, you know, just about 50,000 artifacts, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so of course we have to be taking on what we can manage, you know, just mm-hmm. between the team. And of course, um, because of the pandemic and, um, changes, you know, the city of Burnaby's definitely had to lay off staff and that's the same here. So again, there's a little more change and uncertainty around where we'll be able to, or in what we'll be able to do. Hmm. Within that, within that 50,000 object collection, uh, what would you say are some of the strong items in it? What are some that have really a, mm-hmm. a, a great pull in the story? We have a collection of, um, items from Ocala, which was a provincial prison that was just right across from Deer Lake. And the only reason I hesitate to (laughs) speak too much about it is just because we don't really have um, a venue to share it. Like we we have this sort of, the village, um, we don't have a jail in the village. At one time I think there was one. Um, but we don't really have a place to share it, but it's a, it's a story that um, I know um, we've had talks and different things happening um, about Ocala. It's a really fascinating that it was built in 19, I can't remember the exact year, but the 1910s, very early on, very early prison that was supposed to take sort of the overflow from the New Westminster uh, Penitentiary. And so it was early, early, like really old building, and it was in Burnaby. The building itself was in Burnaby until 1991, but held incarcerated people until the 70s. So it was this long, super long history, all kinds of people going through, again, opportunities to um, share discrimination and hardship faced by Indigenous people, Chinese Canadians, Duke of War people who were sent from the Kootenays all the way here because it was one of a, a provincial... Um, prison. So I I feel most curious about that collection because it's we don't have a place to share it uh, on site currently. It's also a difficult history to tell, and it's not always um, fitting in with our. It doesn't it doesn't always fit. But it's it's a large collection and it's cohesive, and there's lots of um, research and photographs out there about it. But it's very difficult to share it um, in the right way. How do you go about building a exhibition? Um, <laughs> across your career and, and specifically with the Burnaby Village Museum? Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, in the past, I think over time I've learned that it really helps to have a really good sense for your collection and, and know what uh, story the objects can tell. Because I've done a lot of exhibits early on where I was trying to, you know, a certain topic interested me or I felt the public ought to know about a certain element of history and I did a bunch of research and loved it and enjoyed it. Um, and then I was like, oh yeah, there's these artifacts and they're important, but I'll just kind of squeeze them in as I can. And over time, I realized that what has really made some of my most favorite exhibitions come alive has been the artifacts. So it's almost like starting with those, what do you have? Are there one or two that are really special for some reason, or even just physically beautiful or interesting or weird or and almost starting from that? And if you start with the collection, then in my experience, the the research you do around the story the artifact tells, it just the exhibit kind of like runs on its own. Mm-hmm. Like you just keep discovering things about well, oh, and then there's and you know, and then some other artifact will come to light. Oh, that's how this could fit in to the, you know, the keystone artifact based on the research or the photograph that you find. So 
Uh, it took me a long time to learn that, but I feel grateful to have learned it. Um, and it's another reason why um, I'm really happy to be here at Burnaby Village Museum because for a, such a long time, as I mentioned, artifacts have been that was that was the major focus. It was you know we're having a village and it's all about the artifacts. There's been traditionally not a lot of interpretive text, you know, for people. It's sort of a, an immersive experience that you come into the village and you enjoy nostalgia of early pioneer you know settler life so that's really interesting so I like how that's a sort of part of the tradition here that it's sort of artifact forward again being very new um, we are currently working on uh, renovating the herbalist shop so traditional Chinese medicine a, a shop that was um, transplanted here from Victoria in 1975 um, and this is a really exciting space, not only to bring a little more inclusivity to the village uh, feel, but also to offer a little more interpretation about what the space was for. You know, um, I've learned a lot in it. So it's a it's a whole space. It's a building, um, purpose built to be an herbalist shop. And so you've got the sort of the counter you could walk in with your raw materials or materia medica and. Um, so looking at sort of, and then looking into the kitchen where some of these mater raw materials would have been processed, like cooked, dried, and then you have the processing area, so slicing, pounding, you know, mortar and pestles, um, and all kinds of storage. And then there's also uh, the new area about it is um, a social space. So, you know, if you were having your prescription prepared and you had, it would be made out of raw materials right there, you'd, you'd have to wait. Mm -hmm. typically and so you there was a social typically from this is the research that's come out of the across the pacific and other like hours and hours and hours of wonderful research that's been done just around the importance of the social space a social space uh, as part of an herbalist shop so uh, in the new and improved herbalist shop that will open sometime soon um is this idea to like be able to play mahjong while you're waiting mm. have a cup of tea uh, another common and maybe surprising thing about shops uh, these herbalist shops was having a, an, a remittance area so a, a place you could send money back home to china mm. you know there's a lot of rec recognition now that a lot of uh, men would come from china to sort of like uh, make a start and get kind of get your bearings in the new place that you wanted to live but because of a lot of discrimination, um, like very overt discrimination from the Canadian government and local people, uh, a lot of times families were separated for many, many years. So the, you know, sending money home, the men would be here working, sending money home. Uh, so, or even just families being here and sending money back home. So anyway, the remittance and like the communication aspect with China or, you know, the home, home country, so to speak, was an important part of an herbalist shop mm -hmm. so that's so the idea is to bring a little more interpretation a little more storytelling into the space that uh, for a long time has it's always been beautiful and always been very interesting and tons and tons to look at um, but a lot of times you know they're in the past not in the recent past but in in years gone by there hasn't been any sort of interpretive text so you walk in and you're you're transported you don't really but you don't really know where you are mm -hmm. i'm speaking for myself uh, in that sense i'm sure there's many people who could walk into the old herbalist shop and and understand what was going on and probably see a lot of errors in the interpretation too mm -hmm. so we've tried to correct uh you know maybe some displays that were set up with maybe 
a lack of knowledge around the purpose of something and, and therefore it's maybe misplaced. So a very deliberate effort to try and make sure that every piece that's in, you know, every artifact that's in the shop, any, every, the way um, things are set up is very intentional and very informed by uh, research that has been done um, with people who have an understanding and certainly people who can read Chinese characters. Mm. Um, so it's an exciting project. Are, are there any items that have come into the collection recently that you're excited about? And I mean, I guess relatively recently, I guess just last year, this is the one I guess that I wanted to share again. It's related to Chinese Canadian history, but I think it's important to highlight. But it, this, so this artifact is um, a, a mandarin orange box. And so it's in the Across the Pacific um, exhibit right now, but it's going, it's part of our collection now as of last year. It is basically, um, Cecil Lee was a, uh, a person who was far farmed along Marine Drive in Burnaby uh, and in the Fraser Valley. He was a buyer for, for Kelly Douglas, which was basically a food distributor in Canada. So another interesting angle of um, the importance of food, food distribution and the role that Chinese Canadians played. Um, but in the mid-70s, uh, Lee, uh, Cecil Lee, was asked to oversee the import of Chinese Mandarin oranges into Canada. And until that time, Mandarin oranges had come from Japan and were generally sold in the winter, especially at Christmas time, as is still the case. Um, but the demand for these oranges became so great that, you know, pretty soon China was like, okay, this is, this is something we should look into. So anyways, um, Kelly Douglas, the distributor, basically relied on Cecil Lee and his knowledge of just the local communities and local knowledge. And so he designed this cardboard box with, um, with Chinese, that was, did have um, Chinese Mandarin oranges in it. And, to, and it replaced wooden containers. It's a cardboard box, mm -hmm. which you can see, and it was, it was just easily, you could um, fold up the box and make it a box in the field. Mm -hmm. So you didn't have to, it was, wood was, it was just easier to work with as a yeah. cardboard box, so. And the cost of materials would have been yeah, considerably yeah, less. And, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. and that came in through, how, how did that come about, was it? But I, I'm certain that it was related to just the good work of um, Denise Fong and her work. She's done a lot of oral history interviews and just making connections in the community. She's um, built great relationships with several of the farms, the Hopon Farms being one of them, just mm. right down there. So it's just kind of, I guess, the, kind of through word of mouth and just her... Um, efforts to uncover the history and the stories that we just didn't know and hmm. it's been there for a long time. Uh, what are the hopes, aspirations for the Burnaby Village hmm. Museum? I'll only speak maybe for the curatorial department just because we have a whole very huge wing of um, programming that has happened and again it's been a core piece of um, Burnaby Village Museum for an awfully long time. I remember being here, coming here as a kid and doing field trips and doing that. But I really believe that um, given the times that we live in and just the, um, I feel like it's time for a shift and I, I've sort of woven this into my whole interview just around being a more inclusive space, a more accurate space, a more being able to recognize what unceded territory means in British Columbia and really like integrating that in a meaningful way for not just you know, me and the team here, but visitors too. And I think it's a very exciting challenge. I think it's going to be really difficult and it's going to involve a lot of change, but I feel like that is what excites me about, if I think 10 years in the future, what, what could the village look like? I can't say, I don't really know, like, 
you know, we change this building or that building or we would do this or that. I think it's going to take a lot of creativity and a lot of compassion and getting yourself out of the way kind of to to pave that way forward. So I don't really have a specific vision that I could like or like tangible I should say a tangible vision that I could point to but I just feel like it's time I feel like museums are in a really special position to really make a contribution to that effort that's being made by every like by many people I shouldn't say everyone but to be um, just to be a, a more inclusive space and to share messages of uh, you know truth telling and just being becoming uh, a different kind of space and so that's a very, very general answer to um, your good question, but I feel like it's, it's a tough one to give tangible answers to, but I hope that it's something that we can do in the future. I know we're working on it, and I think 10 years is not too, too long to you know, make a little progress in that regard. Well, Kate, thank you very much for taking the time to sit down with me, and uh, wish you all the best. Thank you.